Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It is Thursday, the 19th of April. Um, we're going to be talking about some interesting recent happenings and maybe uh, pitch a stock. Uh, I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me in the studio is Motley Fool Canada Premium Analyst, Taylor Muckerman. Taylor, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. You're enjoying the uh, baseball season? That and, you know, we started today off with a party at the office. Oh, we did. We yes, had our we had board meeting. So, yeah. Donuts. Loving it. I never ate as many donuts as when I started working at the office. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, all we have here are, are sandwich shops and donut shops it's true. near the office. So it's one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. We're very big uh, Dunkin' Donut fans. <laughs> I, guess, I guess. Have you been to a game? Uh, no. No, not I- yet. <laughs> <laughs> you got me Austin glaring, no. <laughs> glaring at her through the screen here. Um, I know Austin has, mm-hmm. uh, but yes, I, I have not. And to honestly, when I usually go, it's I like spend most of the time at the food. Yeah, you want there. it to warm up a little bit before you oh, go. Yes, definitely. Kick back, yeah. Um, so first things first, we want to talk about the prices at the pump. So yesterday's average was uh, $2.73 a gallon. In some parts of the country, it reached as high as $3.50 a gallon. Mm-hmm. The highest prices that we've seen... Um, for the past few years. So the Energy Information Administration, EIA, says this is due to production cuts by major exporters. So OPEC production cuts are working. We've been seeing that. Yep. Now we're kind of feeling the pinch uh, in our own wallets. Um, it's great news for U.S. oil stocks, but bad news for U.S. consumers, I guess. Yeah, you usually see sometimes the price will come up in the summer because it's I guess it's more expensive to mm-hmm. refine oil or gasoline uh, for the summer because it requires certain additives that prevent it from evaporating due to higher temperatures in the mm-hmm. summer. So you, you don't want to have your car just sitting there costing money without actually being turned on. Um, but yeah, it, you've seen gas prices creep up almost to three or four year highs. Uh, seemed like they started creeping up before the price of oil did. So you've seen refiner stocks do really, really well compared to uh, producers, services companies, or pipelines over the last couple of years. Um, and likely to do with so many feedstocks flowing their direction and the export markets really booming. But uh Three or four-year highs on gasoline, not something consumers are looking forward to. That, that tax break, right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the um, the summer-grade uh, gasoline, mm-hmm. because I'm pretty sure Britain does not have that issue. No? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a uniquely... I mean, the this isn't a side, but the, the chocolate is the same. So apparently uh, yeah. the mixture of your chocolate is different than Europe because of the te- like the massive uh, temperature fluctuations that you Interesting. have. Um, but yeah, so I think US oil futures have risen about 40% since um, they originally, o- OPEC and other um, oil producers, and Russia mm-hmm. um, originally put the cap on uh, oil output. And right now those offsets are making up for a slight increase in US shale. Mm-hmm. Uh, US is now exporting um, a record amount. Yeah. Which is, Go us. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> um, but oil demand expected, sorry, exceeded expectations by about a, mil- a million barrels a day. Um, so this is kind of strong gasoline and distillates demand. Long may it continue to prop up these, um, what will de- inevitably a produ- be a production increase. Yeah. And well, you're starting to see us produce almost too much, especially out of the Permian. There's been a, a number of articles come out in the last couple of days about pipeline shortages, um, mm-hmm. which when you think about American pipelines, the shortage is one thing you wouldn't expect, but uh, we're just outproducing our capacity to, to transport this oil. And uh, that's one area that we've had the advantage over the rest of the world in terms of our shale resources, because China, 
And Argentina and other countries have plenty of shale resources, but they just don't have the infrastructure to uh, to transport it. So they can't drill it if there's nowhere to go with it. And uh, so now we're starting to bump up in certain areas uh, against transportation capacity. So maybe we'll see some returns to crude by rail, crude by truck. Thankfully, though, the Permian's close to the Gulf, so it won't be as long of a trek as you saw years ago when they were doing the same thing out of the Bakken up in uh, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually talking to um, an analyst uh, here at The Fool about shippers the other day. Oh, yeah? Uh, which is just a fascinating kind of... Like uh, high seas shipping? Yes, yeah. yes. Fascinating part uh-huh. of the industry. Um, but I'm, hopefully we'll talk about that soon. Um, but we might as well uh, go straight to one of the another topic that we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. which is kind of the showdown that's going on uh, regarding a pipeline in Canada... It's over the Trans Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, speaking of fun. capacity constraints. <laughs> <laughs> this might be a big one. Yeah. Uh, so on Monday, Alberta passed legislation which halted exports of oil and gas to, oh, it could, sorry, mm-hmm. potentially halt exports to oil and gas uh, to British Columbia to try and force the province to um, stop their opposition uh, to the uh, pipeline. So the Alberta Premier, Rachel Notley, said she doesn't want to use it, but she wants to make sure that the province has every available tool uh, to fight uh, to make sure that the Trans Mountain gets built, because obviously for them, economically, it's a huge boon. Yeah, it surely would be. And um, even for the the entire Canadian economy, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has come out and said he fully supports the, the Trans Mountain um, expansion. So basically, Kinder Morgan already has a pipeline going from Alberta to British Columbia, but they want to uh, tack on an expansion Roughly about uh, seven and a half billion Canadian dollars, five billion U.S. dollars. They've already dumped uh, a considerable amount of money into that, almost a almost a billion dollars U.S. Uh, over the last five years into planning and initial construction. But uh, uh, British Columbia still fighting back against this pipeline, and uh, we're, we're looking at tens of billions of dollars at stake here for the Canadian economy over the next few years and and thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of jobs as well. And uh, they've already shot down a couple pipelines when you look at Enbridge's uh, Northern Gateway Pipeline and TransCanada's Energy East Pipeline. And with the United States being the main export market for Canadian oil and natural gas uh, and, and the U.S. producing so much on its own now, they need to find a, a, an access to outside markets. So we're looking at Asia and Europe here in particular. And so a pipeline like this would be would be quite necessary. But uh, British Columbia is worried about um, more oil potentially mm-hmm. spilling on the Pacific coast, even though we haven't really seen much of that in a long time. Uh, that That is their reason behind voting against it. But certainly if uh, Alberta decides to ship their crude somewhere else, British Columbia could be feeling the pain at the pump far more than the U.S. consumers are at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. There could be gasoline shortages, and Vancouver's the second biggest airport, I think, in mm-hmm. Canada, um, would see much, much higher jet fuel costs. Yes. Um, and then also, you know, like you said, you're looking at Alberta potentially losing a key market for crude and refined products. For sure. Um, it's interesting because Kinder Morgan CEO Steve Keen basically said, you know, I kind of predicted this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said that these recent events have confirmed his concerns about the viability of the project and that spooking investors. Um, he said, we pointed out there are significant differences between governments and those differences are outside of our ability to resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, I think that they've given, uh, they've, they've, sorry, they've stopped building right now, but by the end of May, uh, then they have to kind of come to a resolution. So yeah, that's that's the, that line in the sand, May mm-hmm. 31st. So some and, legal challenges there. Yeah, They're only one vote shy. So they've got the 44 seats on one side, 43 seats on the other side. Uh, so they just need to s- swing one vote their way, and and this pipeline 
could make its way westward. Mm-hmm. And Kinder, this is a pretty big deal for Kinder. They're America's largest pipeline operator. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that it's a drop in the bucket, but it's not. A lot of people's kind of growth projection for them is based on this five-year backlog of all these projects. Mm-hmm. I think that amounts to about $12 billion. Like you said, uh, $5 billion worth of that would be this project. Yeah, and what you see um, with this company, the share price has been quite subdued. And obviously, this could be one reason why. But uh, it's a recommendation we have in pro-Canada. And our lead advisor, Jim Gillies, confident that even if this doesn't go through, the shares are, are definitely undervalued. Uh, you see tons of cash flow generation with this company. And we look for them to continue delevering, and they actually just announced earnings yesterday, um, and boosted the dividend a little bit. So mm-hmm. they feel confident enough in that. And this is a company that I think you you aren't going to go out there and now say, oh, they're just boosting their dividend because they want that market to think that they're in a good financial standing. I think they're they're scared straight when it comes to the dividend after they cut it a couple of years ago and the share price plummeted. It's yet to recover from that. So I, I don't think that this is all optics. I think that they're very serious and think that they can fund a dividend increase moving forward while delevering the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've been looking at Kinder myself and yeah. like the, on a price-to-book basis, they're looking incredibly attractive for all those value yeah. investors out there. And the, the access, I think, to natural gas, the exposure mm-hmm. to natural gas is a, is a huge plus in my book. That's why I owned Spectra Energy before Enbridge bought it, because of the exposure to natural gas. But um, I think that that is a, a key reason why investors should take a look at Kinder Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, and if this does go through, uh, the pipeline is already supported by three oil companies and they've signed 15 to 20-year contracts. And that would be about 80% capacity of the pipeline. Is yep. that right? That's that so, uh, take or pay fee yeah. structure we love with these pipelines. Uh, you get this long-term contract, renewable, uh, consistent payment there. It makes some great stocks mm-hmm. to own. Um, so this is kind of cool. It's our next news topic to talk about. China has built a road that will be able to charge <laughs> an electric vehicle as you drive over it. So they're calling this the Intelligent Highway, and it includes solar panels, mapping sensors, and electric battery rechargers. And Bloomberg reported on this, so this is what they said. It said the technologies will be embedded underneath transparent concrete used to build a 1,080-meter-long stretch of road. About 45,000 vehicles use this section of road every day, and the solar panels inside generate enough electricity to power highway lights and 800 homes. Mm -hmm. So to translate that, that's about 3,500 feet uh, of road. So it's not a huge amount. It's not right. a huge stretch. It's actually not long enough right now to uh, charge an electric vehicle, but incredible potential. The biggest thing that kind of stood out uh, for this, obviously, aside from the massive opportunity, is transparent concrete. They yeah, use transparent cool. concrete. That's incredible. Yeah. The future has arrived. Um, I've even seen some concrete, uh, not on, not in play, but just in videos that has been used that is more porous. So mm-hmm. water seeps right through the concrete and the asphalt rather than pooling on top of it or needing to drain off to the side. So definitely some companies out there doing some interesting things with infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And that could completely, this is off on a tangent again, but that that could revolutionize kind of the road infrastructure because you wouldn't wouldn't need to do, it's when the water pools and it turns to ice and that's what creates all the the fractures in the road. So that would be incredible. Um, But yeah, this uh, this road is made up of three vertical layers. And it's got like a shell of this see-through concrete, which allows the sunlight to come through and reach the solar cells. And then on the top, it's got recharging wires and sensors. And it monitors things like uh, temperature, traffic flow, um, weight weight of the vehicle, 
And it's all to kind of make these intelligent vehicles as we drive towards more autonomous vehicles, more intelligent. So I think Chinese government wants 10% of all cars to be fully self-driving by 2030. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a lot of cars. 10% of uh, Chinese cars is, I guess you could extrapolate that out to maybe 50%, 40% of US cars Mm -hmm. by by scale in terms of population. Um, Pretty interesting stuff there especially uh, when you consider self-charging cars while driving. No need to stop at the rest station for 30 minutes to charge to charge your vehicle. And I had seen uh, the idea of parking lots being mm. uh, laid down with solar panels underneath them, but I have never seen it turned into a highway before. So yeah. in 20, pretty interesting. In 2016, there was a French construction company, and they are the ones, I think, they trialed this first. Uh, it was a decent stretch, I think, mm-hmm. of um, the solar-paneled roads. And now next year, they're going to start to sell those um, for kind of gas stations and parking lots and things, which are being awesome. Uh, But yeah, potentially this could be really, really interesting. I I think a lot of the, they're focusing very much on the intelligence aspects of it in terms of, you know, better traffic updates, accurate mapping, kind of avoidance of traffic patterns and things like that. Um, And it's all part of uh, President Xi Jinping's um, Made in China 2020. 25 mm-hmm. project. So he's trying to move the perception of the country away from kind of this, oh, it's where we get our sneakers made, more to like, this is a hub of manufacturing and innovation. Cool. Yeah, if there's one company out there that if folks want to look at like smart highways and roadways in the US, um, it's a company called Quarter Hill. And uh, it's long been a patent litigation company. Um, they buy patents and lease them out, or they litigate uh, patent infringement on, on behalf of other companies. But they've since turned like half their business into a Internet of Things holding company. So mm-hmm. they've been acquiring small businesses and most of their acquisitions have been in that smart highway, smart roadway space. So a, a company to check out, Quarter Hill, one word, quarter as in the currency and hill as in what you climb. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so I just think this is this is obviously kind of breaking down the barriers of some of the things that might actually stop electric vehicles in the short term in yeah. terms of like the, you know, having to stop and charge and all those kind of things. So very exciting. Obviously, this was just one experiment. It cost $6.5 million, uh, the equivalent of $6.5 million to lay this just this stretch. So right now, not financially yeah. viable, but you don't expect it to be when something's straight out. Of, uh, Solar R&D. wasn't financially viable mm-hmm. for a long time either. And that yep. rapidly changed. Yeah, I think they said that it needs to drop by about 50% the mm-hmm. cost before it's uh, commercially viable. Yep. So we'll see. Um, cool either way. It is cool yeah. either way. Yeah, I, I enjoyed reading that this weekend. Uh, so we are both going to briefly pitch a stock that we're kind of watching right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no idea <laughs> what stock each other Yeah, hopefully picked. it's not the same one. No, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well, I don't know. That could be a good sign. Um, yeah, that's very good. Confirmation bias. <laughs> did you want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, sure, I can go. That, that'll mm-hmm. work. Um, one company that i uh, paying close attention to is Core Labs, um, based out of the Netherlands, but they have uh, their, I guess, their U.S., maybe global headquarters in Houston. But uh, this is a premier company that is involved in reservoir description and enhancement services. So uh, when you're looking at a well, they can basically recreate the well in their lab and tell you exactly what kind of fluid, what kind of propens, what kind of chemicals, um, what kind of pressure. They can tell you exactly how to get the most bang for your buck. It's not cheap, but it's worth it in the long run. And uh, this company is just continually buying back shares with their money. They generate tons of free cash flow. Kind of gone by the wayside when when you look at the last few years because um, companies were really trying to cut costs. But as price of oil creeps back up, this service is is 
undeniably effective, and uh, it can really be a game changer to set companies that A, can afford it, and B, are willing to afford it apart and maximize their extraction from wells. Because, I mean, we leave more, generally 50% or more of the oil and natural gas in these wells. Core Labs is helping change that. And if we ever get back to offshore oil, um, those projects for them bring an even more highly profitable revenue. So this is a company that I really like, and it's it's been doing fairly well over the last few weeks, as most oil stocks have, but uh, down considerably over the last several years. Uh, but I'm looking for this company to rebound and be a nice little ancillary services provider. You're going to think I'm joking, but I was honestly tossing up looking at <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's, it's just such a great business model yeah. because now it's not, you know, oil companies are driving so much towards efficiency. Mm-hmm. This is a company that can really offer yes, them that efficiency. Absolutely. I went down there and met with them with uh, a few other fools maybe three or four years ago. And uh, probably four years ago because it was before the, the, the 2014 collapse and um, just great management team. And they are actually talking about companies like Exxon used to do this on their own, and they realized that Core Labs could do it so much better. So even the biggest energy company in the world gave up on trying to do what Core Labs is doing because they do it so much better and they outsource to Core Labs. They even had old Exxon equipment in their in their lab that Exxon had sold to them because they're like, well, you guys can probably retrofit this and make it a better machine than we've ever been able to. Uh, it's pr- pretty cool to see that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a very big testament to yes. how successful you can be. Well, I can't claim anything as nice as having met. With <laughs> you. So mine's going to mine's gonna fall a little bit short, but uh, it's a company that I think we've discussed on the show before. It's Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. Yeah. Uh, so Brookfield Infrastructure is one of the world's largest infrastructure companies. They own uh, energy distribution networks cell mm-hmm. network towers, electric lines, toll roads, ports. Um, they even own some timberland. And they own all of this kind of, they have a very uh, global portfolio. So they have this strategy of acquiring distressed assets, then they kind of turn them into cash cows and either sell them or keep them. Um, and it's such a great business model because they have this established asset base and that kind of allows them to, you know, if they uh, increase rates slightly, this enables them to finance their growth. Mm-hmm. Um so recently, they just made a $100 million uh, toll road acquisition in India. Uh, and they're looking further at India to expand uh, cell towers there, which I think if you kind of look at any of the trends um, coming out of that country, is just exactly the right way to go. Uh, you know, now everybody has cell, has cell phones here. Nobody has, like, phones, phone lines. Yes. India is kind of looking to bypass that and go straight to cell, cell phones. So. Yeah, you see that with a lot of the third world developing countries completely mm-hmm. skip a step that the, that America pioneered or that Europe pioneered and uh, land right on uh, the, the new technology mm-hmm. that um, yeah, cell phones mm-hmm. without having to ever bother with the landline. Pretty pretty wild to think yep. about. Streaming over there too is yes. getting is getting mm-hmm. huge because that's really being enabled by all this. Like, yep. although it's kind of legacy technology in some parts, I think in some in some areas it's actually going in at a higher, at <laughs> better technology yeah, than we currently. I would imagine have. so. Um, they also bought a pipeline from Petrobras in uh, Brazil. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of all these new projects that they're doing that I think are in exactly the right areas. Uh, they have a 4.6% yield, a forward PE of 15. They have above average operating margin. I think they have like a 31%. Average is about 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and stocks are down so far this year. There's, there are, cons- you know, if anybody wants to look at this and any other stocks that we mentioned, you yeah. definitely have to do your reading. Uh, there are some concerns about that ROI and things like that. But overall, I just, I, I'm very bullish on infrastructure ch- trends generally. Yeah. 
And one thing to consider about the stock as well is they have the support of their parent, Brookfield Asset Management. So uh, a tremendous asset manager. And they have a few other companies along the lines of Brookfield Infrastructure, but always nice to have the support of the loaded balance sheet that Brookfield um, can, can you know, give credit to or go out and raise money for. So definitely a nice added bonus there uh, for any interested shareholders. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, there are two two stocks for Sweet, today. Sweet, yeah. Core Labs and Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything else? Did I miss anything in my pitch? I don't think so. I think that's pretty <laughs> solid, yeah. It's just being nice. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't want to give everybody everything. we got to <laughs> let them go do some research. Uh, well, that's it from us today. If you'd like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at full.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thank you to Austin Morgan for patiently producing the show today. For Taylor, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and pull on. Mm-hmm.